You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt and not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a seven or eight mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. You're going to be sleeping in a wall tent and you're going to be doing that for five days with the founder and CEO of Outdoor Edge, David Block. Now, if you've never been on an elk hunt before, I'm telling you right now, go sign up for this because if you ever hear a elk bugle, whether it's at 400 yards or it's at 40 yards, it is a life-changing experience. So here's how you enter. Go to OutdoorEdge.com. There's going to be a big banner for it somewhere on their homepage. All you have to do is click on that. Go fill out some information. I think your name, your email address, maybe some other stuff. And that's all you have to do. That's how you are entered. They're going to be picking a winner oh, a ways from now. So you have plenty of time to enter. Go visit OutdoorEdge.com. Sign up today. And if you decide to purchase any products from the website, Enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces. NATION30. And you will receive 30% off your purchase. Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Thomas. I'm Micah. (laughs) And uh, today's episode is, I think, a great one. Dude, it it covers so many bases, and it hits just in the right time. Today's episode, we got Josh Honeycutt on, an outdoor writer, and he comes on today to talk about uh, nocturnal bucks. And perfect time of year to be talking about this. Right. Um, everybody's getting out in the woods. Everybody's hunting. You know, they're starting to, oh, the temperature's cooling down. People are going to get out there more, checking trail cameras, find out that your buck's not showing up except after dark. Well, he lays it out perfectly as far as what you can do and what's actually probably happening to actually get the job done. So, And it, he pretty much talks about, like, every different option yeah every scenario every scenario that people might have i mean you might have someone that's seeing the bucks at three in the morning somebody that's got them just after dark or whatever he he kind of lays it out on all of them and what he says is not and i 100 percent agree with him hunting is never black and white it's always gray. right it's gonna right. be it's deer specific every yeah. deer's different just yep. like you me everybody else everybody's different uh yeah. deer are the same way so you kind of have to play it and properties are different. Everything pro- about every yeah. every scenario is going to be different. But right. I think there's some good information that Josh gives us just to help anybody that is maybe discouraged that the buck they maybe had on camera all summer is now nocturnal. Right. If they're discouraged about it, they really shouldn't be. Yeah, because it could be doing something else, and you just don't know yet. So listen, and we obviously get into it in the episode, but listen to some of the stuff that he says do, try something different, and hopefully you can get them on the ground. Yeah, and 
we won't keep you too much longer because it's a pretty pretty long episode. I think we went over an hour, and I, it's great because Josh has got a lot of information for us, and we definitely go down a few uh, rabbit holes. Also, we talk about wind for a while and whatever. It we talk about a video, so it's it's a good time. Um, yeah, we really is. enjoy talking to Josh. Yeah, it is what it is. So let's get into enjoy it. Enjoy the show. This is the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. All right, welcome to the show. Today, just me and Micah. What's up, buddy? What's going on, man? Nothing, nothing. Um, we got a exciting show. I'm I'm excited to talk about this, especially this time of year. Yeah, it's, uh, it's getting to that point where deer are changing. People are actually getting a lot serious about going out in the woods right. and stuff like that. So it's getting down to crunch time. Yeah, and when this episode airs, it'll be, I think, October 6th. And so it's, it's like that, that time where... They've went hard horned. They've been hunted. Um, and they. It's usually cooler weather. Yeah, it starts to cool down. So, you know, a, a big topic this time of year is nocturnal bucks. So, yeah. I've read a few of this guy's um, articles and, and really, you know, like them. So, with us today is uh, Josh Honeycutt. Uh, Josh is an outdoor writer. What's going on, man? Well, not much. I'm just just walking to the mailbox and uh, looking at pictures on my on my cell cams right now. What are you guys doing? Oh, I wish we were looking at cell cam pictures, that, uh, but we're not. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're still we still no, picking no, old school. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't have a lot of them. I only have a couple, but uh, man, I, uh, I sure I, I sure like them. They're fun. Yeah, our, our other co-host Andy has a cell camera and. It makes things a lot easier. I will say that uh, I'm actually hoping to go check cameras on Sunday because um, I, I actually have to get a few shooting links cut. And I figured, well, while I'm there, I might as well grab them. So, Absolutely. but yeah, it's it's one of them deals that you have to make a physical effort to go out and get them if you don't have a cell camera. So it's a uh, and you're just putting your scent more in the woods and everything sure. like that. So, so uh, anyway, before we get into our topic, which is uh, nocturnal bucks today. Josh, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody? Uh, tell us where you're from, what you do for a living, and um, since you're not from Missouri, we'll we'll ask you a, a generic outdoors question. What is your favorite thing about the outdoors in general? Oh uh, well, you know, it's got to be a multi a multi-pronged answer. Uh, you know, I love you know the adventure of hunting. Uh, you know, but the biggest thing for me is, is the memories, you know, being out there with family, being out there with friends, uh, you know, experiencing that orange. Now, even though most of the time I'm out there on my own, um, you know, and, and, and even when you're on your own, you're still creating memories and, and uh, you know, enjoying that hunt, even if it's, even if it's, uh, you know, so, but, uh, you know, you're creating memories, but, you know, I, at the end of the day, I love to eat venison. It's my favorite food in the whole world. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a hunter. Uh, I truly mean that, and uh, you know that's that's the primary. Even though I love to shoot big deer, and I save my buck tags for mature bucks. Uh, I, I love to eat deer meat, and uh, you know my family does as well. So it's it, it's a multi pronged answer, but uh, but that's that's probably what I would have to say. Awesome, and you got a pretty cool. Uh, why don't you tell everybody about what you do? Because I what I I I envy what you do. I think it's pretty cool that you uh, 
you know, you're in the outdoor space. So why don't you give everybody a quick rundown about what you do for a living? Yeah, so I work for myself. Um, uh, answer whatever you want to call it. I work for a different company industry. Uh, uh, you know, I do different things, marketing and media related. Uh, you know, I, I, probably half of the clients that I work for are media based, like traditional hunting magazines or websites or, or, or hunting shows. Uh, the other half of my clients are, are just, you know, you know, product based. You know, they 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 you know manufacture a product, they sell a product. So. Um, you know, and each of those clients is it's always media or marketing relating marketing related. Uh, so so I get to do a wide array of things from writing to editing to uh, public relations to photography, videography. If it's media based or media related, I get to do it. So it, it is a fun job and one that I've been blessed uh, to be able to to in, in the outdoor industry for the past ten years now. So. God's truly blessed me in that regard, and uh, I'm definitely thankful. That's pretty cool. And speaking of media, actually, before we get into the topic, um, uh, if you've never listened to our show before, Josh, we, we tend to go off course every once in a while. <laughs> um, but I was I saw your Instagram post today about that doe that you saw while you were hunting. And uh, mm-hmm. that's crazy, that, that injury. And she's just walking around like nothing, nothing happened. Uh, for anybody that hasn't seen it uh on josh's instagram which i don't know his handle off the top of my head but um there's this this doe he filmed today that is walking through the woods with what looks like a lethal shot right right in the the bread basket yeah and it's like nothing happened to her so i mean it's right in the 12 ring i mean it's exactly where i would have you know at least tried to put my arrow if i was the one that had 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 released us released the bowstring, but uh, it was interesting. I mean, I, I, it's hard to know for sure what it was. I don't know if it was an actual hunter's arrow. Uh, maybe, maybe it was some other some other kind of wound. I don't know. It's hard to say for sure. But just in the location of it, it almost seemed like it was it was it would was have been from, base. Yeah, uh, because right right behind the front leg, and uh, you know, top you know bottom bottom third, you know, just right there. I mean, right there where everybody aims. So sure. especially with a bow, you know, some you know some people aim more on the shoulder of behind the shoulder uh, with a gun but uh with a bow you know of course we're nowhere near gun season yet of any sort not even youth weekend so you know i, I don't know it, it was interesting for sure and, that, and there was no wound on the opposite side hmm. uh, there was it was it was only a single-sided wound so i, I don't know if, if it was hunter based i almost think that someone tried and, and a lot of people commented on the video and, and someone mentioned this and i, I kind of agree with them but uh if, if it is a hunter based wound or Hunter inflicted, uh, you know, it almost seemed like somebody took a straight down shot and just kind of shaved, you know, uh, it off. But uh, I don't know. It's pretty wild and, and shows you how these critters are. Yeah, yeah. Even uh, somebody else might have commented, I or or I thought it. I can't remember which now, but that it, it might have been like a, a mechanical broadhead that failed. And then I got to thinking more about it, and I'm like, well. Even if a mechanical broadhead failed, it would do a lot of damage upon impact, you would think, to that spot at least. So Mm -hmm. then after that, I'm like, well, I don't know what that would have been. It was just really cool to see uh, something like that. Crazy stuff like that happens every once in a while out there. 
I mean, I, th- I think I was watching the Drury's, Drury's one time, and somebody shot a deer with a muzzleloader, and it made it to the next it season. Lived. Like, it, yeah. he, same thing. He made put it right there in the bread basket. Should have been a lethal shot, but no, the thing made it. So, yeah, some crazy things happen. Yeah, their their will to live is, is strong, that's for sure. Yeah, and it is. And, you know, that it's something that uh, Bill Winky, and uh, I think a lot of Bill Winky's, uh, and uh, he's been a great mentor for me in the past years. But um, something that he kind of introduced me to a concept is that not the vitals, even though they're mostly the same on uh, from whitetail to whitetail, they're actually slightly different. Um, you know, just just as in humans, you know, there's slight variations in human anatomy. Uh, even though generally it's the same, there can be differences. And uh, and he actually uh, showed some proof on on how that's true. Uh, by examining the entrails uh, and, and the, you know, the lungs, the heart, you know, just based on the size and the positioning of those things. They're generally the same, but they can have some variation from deer to deer. And it just goes to show that, that sometimes, uh, you know, even if you think you make a lethal hit, sometimes it just it just does not hit the vitals enough to, to you know, kill that deer. So it's an interesting, intriguing concept for sure, and one that I'm not super knowledgeable about, but definitely interested in. Yeah, no, I just, that was probably the most interesting thing I saw today was that video of yours. And it, I just, it confused me and interested me all at the same time. I'm sitting there looking at her going, what is that? You know, you'd like to know that story, I guess. But so anyway, go back on track. <laughs> uh, let's talk about a really cool subject right now. And a lot of, a lot of people would, I think be interested in this, especially by the time this airs is nocturnal bucks and how to hunt them. And you've, yeah. You've published uh, several articles on this topic, and uh, everybody this time of year or in the next few weeks, you know, starts pressing and, and wondering, okay, this this buck I've got on camera is only there at night, and how do I hunt this buck? And so uh, I think this, this is a topic that you, you have some good information on and, and something maybe that can help people as they're making that plan. To, to hunt that buck or not so um yeah so let's just kind of i guess start with a scenario and we'll, we'll just kind of go from there so uh, let's just pretend that i've i've had this buck on camera all summer long and it's it's hunting season now he's went hard horned and he's now only showing up at night yeah what you know uh, you what know, are my know. options type of right. type of deal well and you know, again, I, I'm no expert when it comes to any aspect of deer hunting. I'm, I'm a, I'm a student of deer hunting, and I continue to learn. And there's way more things that I don't know than I do know. But I have noticed about, you know, uh, my years as a bow hunter uh, and deer hunter in general. And, and you know, there's a lot of reasons why deer seem to be nocturnal. I guess my first response to this um, is, no deer is truly nocturnal. Right. Um, every deer is different. Uh, because every deer will move in daylight. Every buck will move in daylight and does move in daylight. But the distance of which they move uh, from beds in daylight is different. And some of them move very little. Uh, a prime example is a deer that I watched and, and filmed from the stand uh, two days ago, two or three days ago, two days ago. Oh, it was yesterday. Um, I was in a little spot where I was going after a, a, a pretty nice buck, and I looked out in this bean field, and I could see about 300 yards out, and another mature deer 
um, was bedded down in the beans, and he stood up in those beans probably at three o'clock or three thirty, and and closing time is around a little after seven right now, seven oh five, seven ten. So he stood up and he fed right there where he'd been bedded at, probably for about. 20 or 30 minutes but he did not move five yards from his bed he laid back down after he fed for a while and did not get back up again until uh probably 10 or 15 minutes before legal shooting light ended and even whenever legal shooting light ended he still had not made it more than 15 yards from where he was bedded in the beans that uh that day so but that same buck that very same buck I saw him last weekend with the target buck actually in there going after. And uh, I saw them get up out of their beds. I was bad, well, sort of. Uh, I saw them probably about 20 to 30 yards after they exited their bed because I was in a stand location. I did a hanging hunt. I uh-huh. hunting pretty close to a, a, where they were bedded at. And I, and I know where they were bedded at because of the postseason scouting that I always do. And, the, you know, that spot, there's, there's always a group of buck beds in the same location. So I, even though I didn't see them get up out of their beds, I know where they were at. But, um, uh, you know, those deer, they got up probably. Uh, that same buck, along with the target buck that I was in there after, they both got up probably an hour and a half before uh, legal light ended and traveled – 100 to 150 yards um they just had they just ended up going in in, in the other directions that come toward me but um you know so even 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 the same buck you can look at the same buck today and tomorrow and he's going to do completely different things and the, and the conditions were pretty much identical ago so there really weren't any differences in and at least noticeable differences on my part days and the conditions but Every deer is different, um, but 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 no no deer is truly nocturnal in my opinion. They all move in daylight. They may only move five, ten, fifteen, twenty yards, but you know some deer may move two hundred yards. It just depends on the scenario, and it depends on the the personality of that deer. Deer depends that day. It depends on a lot of things. That makes sense. And I I recently listened to another podcast um, on our network actually, Southern Ground Hunting, and they had a guest on. And if I butcher his name, I apologize, but uh, Bobby Worthington, or Worthing, Worthington, um, and sorry for butchering your name, Bobby, but he explained uh, a Bucks area, at least for a guy like me, the way he explained it made the most sense that I've ever kind of had it explained to me. And it, if he, he said, if you take a, a wheel, like a, on a car, and you've got, on a, or on a, on a bike or something like that, and you've got the hub in the middle, and then you've got the spokes going out from the hub, right? That hub might mm-hmm. be the buck's core area, and those those spikes are part of his home range, or the different spokes are, are part of his home range, but he might be bedded in that, that hub and then go out on one spoke uh, tonight and then the next night he's on another spoke based on you know wind or or whatever a, a doe was over there that he wanted to check out so he might only go down one spike every week or every other week and every night though he's back in that hub and so if if you're not hunting that that buck in his main hub then you might think he's nocturnal or is not in that home range even though you are, it's just you're not in his main hub. And I that kind of made a lot of sense to me when I pictured a wheel and then, you know, the middle being mm-hmm. that, that main part and then all the spokes just being kind of the 
parts of his home range. And so there's there's a lot of people, I think, that, you know, myself included, I, I hunt a piece of property that unfortunately isn't very big, but is part of a lot of bucks that I hunt home range, right? So I'm mm-hmm. never going to see that buck get up out of his bed and do those things. Um, and so what how, what would you say to the guy that maybe not might not be within, you know, ear di- or shooting distance of, of that main bed where those bucks are, but they know they're in that home range. In my opinion, patience is, is what your answer is, but what do you, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, every situation, you know, every situation is different when it comes to deer hunting. You know, a lot of people say, Oh, well, you know, deer hunting is black and white. Oh, don't hunt bedding areas or you should always hunt bedding areas or at least don't, you should always hunt the fringes of bedding areas. And every situation is different. Deer hunt, you know, game laws aside, every aspect of deer hunting, uh, you know, game laws and ethics aside, every aspect of deer hunting is great. Uh, and, 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 and so I, every single scenario with an open mind and a clean slate. And, and, and so, you know, I hunt a lot of small properties too. You know, I, uh, I hunt, heck, my, I think most of my biggest deer came off of properties that were 50, between 50 and 80 acres. And so, you know, a lot of the deer that I've killed were bedded on a neighboring property and came over onto the property that I, that I was actually hunting on. Uh, and, you know, and then I shot it, you know, similar to what you were just talking about. Um, but yeah, patient, if the deer is not bedding on, on the property, if you don't have access to that buck's bed, get within, you know, five to a hundred yards of that buck's bed, uh, you know, you, you almost have to be patient. Like you're talking about, there's some days though, especially in unpressured situations that I've seen, uh, it's not so much true on the public lands that I've hunted, but, uh, on private lands you know, that are at least moderately managed, um, you know, sometimes bucks will move on good days. They'll move 200 yards, 150 to 200 yards. So, you know, that might mean you have to hug a property line and hunt within, you know, 10, 15, 20 yards of the property line. Everybody has mixed feelings about that. Uh, my, you know, my only advice there is to, to, to communicate with your neighbors and, uh, you know, uh, and that's what I, I do. You know, I, I don't hang any prop, you know, I don't hang a stand right but you know if you know sometimes what i'll do if i'm in a similar situation you know i'll talk to my neighbor and landowner it's like hey stand close is there a place that you want to put a stand close to the line and we'll kind of try to stay you know out of each other and communication is always uh the answer there but if, if you can't get um um right up to where you need to be, you know, within 7,500 yards, 125 yards of that buck's bed, you almost have to be patient and wait for those high odds days and wait for those conditions that are going to push them up out of their beds a little bit sooner and a little further, um, such as those cold fronts, something else that I've had pretty good success with, or rain events. Another thing that I'm not completely sold on yet, but I've been paying attention to for the last five, six, seven, eight years is moon overhead, moon under and I'm kind of leaning toward that being an indicator. And there's some people that swear by it. Uh, and I, again, I'm no biologist, so I, I can't sit here and say that it is or isn't isn't accurate. But uh, it seems like it has some sway on deer movement, at least in my opinion. Uh, so, so temperature drops, you know, within 24 hours, if you've got a 10, uh, 10 to 15 uh, swing or drop in highs, 
high temperatures in twenty in a twenty four hour period. That seems to really spur deer movement. It can work in the opposite direction too. If you've had consistently cold weather and all of a sudden you get a, a you know a, a, an increase in temperatures, I've seen that actually spur deer movement. It's not as good as a temperature drop in my opinion, but it it still works. I think change is just a key element there that spurs deer to to, to move. But um, rain events are really good. I love rain events. Uh, I, I, I like hunting in the rain. Uh, especially if that rain pushes through about two hours before dark, maybe an hour before dark. Uh-huh. Um, if it's pushing through at dark, that's obviously not helping you much. But if it if it comes through two to three hours before uh, legal light ends, that's that's dynamite in my mind. And, and there's some re- there's not a lot of research out there that backs that up, but I've had a lot of anecdotal hunts, uh, anecdotal research and hunts that seem to support that. Um, and I, and I love windy days. Uh, a lot of people don't like to hunt on windy days, but I love hunting windy days for multiple reasons. But uh, just from looking at the sheer deer movement period, a lot of people think deer don't move on windy days, but the research just does not support that. The state has, has done a lot, at least three studies. Uh, I think it was from 2015 to 2018, and those have been peer-reviewed from other uh, research facilities as well. And deer, once you have... Uh, winds that, that are in excess of 15 miles, 10 to 15 miles per hour, uh, deer will move twice as far uh, within, a, when, within a given daylight hour. And I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but, uh, but the, the, the number of yards that they moved per hour in daylight in the afternoon doubled what they were under 10 miles an hour. Uh, once it once it, it exceeded 10 to 12 miles per hour, that distance they were willing to travel in daylight doubled uh, versus single digit uh, wind speeds. So that's mm. something interesting to take. Yeah, out. yeah. So, uh, not... Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I get long winded. You just tell me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just going to say that. Yeah, I've never heard that actually before. But no, that that that's pretty neat and good to know. You know, that's something you can put in the memory bank. But uh, I got a scenario for you. So let's say you get a new piece of property and I'm just going off my experience here and I'm getting trail cam picks of decent deer, but it's always between 12 o'clock and four o'clock in the morning. Uh, where do you start as far as where, do, so you got your set cameras, where are you going to go from there as far as trying to find their core bedding area? Are you just going to throw darts at a board and put cameras up just randomly, or do you have a scenario, or do you have a plan in place on what you do? Well, the first place I start is right where I'm still at because my biggest deer that I, uh, one of my biggest deer ever, uh, 160 mid 160s. I forget exactly what it grows. So I, I don't pay too much attention to sports, but. Uh, like a 164, 165 inch corner that I killed back in 2018, and this was a scenario that you just just mapped out was exactly the scenario that I was in, and it was a 50 acre property, uh, and I've killed a lot of deer with a bow. I've probably killed, uh, well, I shouldn't say a lot of deer with a bow, but I've killed four bucks off that property with a bow uh, from between 2015 and 2020. So just about every year for. Yeah, for the last five years, I've, I've taken my deer off of that property uh, and with a bow at that. But that deer was that was that was that scenario. He was only hitting cameras um, uh, after dark, you know. And I get pictures of him at eleven o'clock at night, twelve o'clock at night, one o'clock in the morning. 
And I was like, well, goodness gracious, change this pattern up because I was getting a lot of daylight pictures of that deer during the preseason in August leading up to our Kentucky uh, opener, which is always the first full weekend in September. And uh, so I was like, well, what is this deer doing? And so I was like, and I didn't even hunt this deer because he was only hitting my cameras at night. And I had several cameras in that area and he wasn't hitting any of them in daylight. And I was like, well, what's this deer doing? So I didn't even hunt the deer the first day or so of the season. Um, I might have hunted him the second day, but I didn't hunt him opening day. Because I was like, well, I don't want to go in there and booger him up and leave ground to him if he's not even hitting in daylights. But so I can't remember if it was the second or third day. But anyway, I finally decided, well, I'm just going to go in there and hunt an observation sit, see what happens, and uh, or an observation stand. So I did that, and boom, I saw the deer. And his pattern hadn't changed. He was just missing those cameras. And uh, so he was still doing virtually the exact same thing that he had always been doing all summer long. He was just using a slightly different path, and he was running right by three different cameras and passing with 20 to 40 yards of each of those cameras and was still virtually doing the exact same thing he'd been doing, just slightly different, and was swinging back at night after he'd left his bed to go to the major feed fields that he was going to uh, on neighboring properties Uh, he would swing back through later that night and hit those cameras because i had my cameras over uh, water holes yeah and so just one of those things where sometimes they're doing exactly what you think they're doing you know that deer was actually bedding in a small cedar thicket close to a pond and he was bedded within probably 75 yards of camera number one within 150 20 yards of camera number two and within 175 yards of camera number three and he was just sliding right by all three of them so he was still doing what he was doing just slightly different and it took an observation set to realize that and i that's a good point about cameras because you get you have a camera out and it's only taking a snapshot of a small area of the property that you're hunting even if you've got 10 cameras out and i mean i've personally yeah. seen it and i'm sure a lot of our listeners have too um, my, uh, might be a little overkill, but I've got seven cameras on one of my properties that I hunt that is only basically about 15 acres of huntable area. Right. But I've literally seen where I've got two main trails coming down that are, that are beat trails, Josh. I mean, they they look like cattle trails, right? I've got two main trails and then I've got a camera at that intersection and then a camera not far from it, uh, on a mineral lick. And I've seen it when I'm hunting and then I figured it out through cameras where a mature buck will literally get off of the trail and go his own way to, to miss stuff that he doesn't like, or there's a scent he didn't like, and he'll, he'll just go a different, different route and then come into the the mineral lick from Mm -hmm. a different way. And you're like, where is he coming from? I've got all these cameras out, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they're only looking at a small little area, though. So he could be traveling exactly yeah. where you thought he was, but you don't think so because you, you've got these cameras there and you're not seeing them. So that's that's a great point that yeah. just because you have cameras, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, really. Right. I mean. Yeah. Sometimes we put too much stock in our trail cameras, and I love her. I'm an addict. Me too. Uh, I'm, I'm, like, I'm just like you just mentioned. I I. I around uh all together and these are spread out on, on different properties but i run between 40 and 50 cameras uh every year and i, I buy a lot of cheap trucks uh, don't get me wrong uh and, and that's honestly what i run mostly is just 
the lone cheap cameras because uh, that's I run so many of them. But um, yeah, some, sometimes we put too much stock in our trail cameras. I honestly think, and this is in every situation, but I honestly think that in, in your average scenario, if you're getting a deer on camera, um, you can just about bet he's actually passing through that area. Unless he's just like a clockwork deer and he hits that camera every single afternoon at 5 o'clock in the afternoon right. or 4 o'clock in the afternoon and he hits it every single day. Like, if you're not consistently getting that deer on camera, I would almost bet, uh, and again, it's not every situation, but a lot of situations, you're pro- you probably have that deer passing through there much more often than you actually believe. Uh, it is based on how many pictures you're getting because it's not going to unless you've got it on a on a on a corn pile or a bait pile or something that's just sucking them right out of that spot. Um, uh, you know, uh, they're probably passing through there more often than you think. Yeah, I I've even had people tell me, which I've never understood, but hey, I'm I'm not a smart person. Uh, you know, like Mike had mentioned, he had this deer from midnight to four a.m every every time he's seen pictures of that deer but let's say the deer is on camera you know every four days or something like that right and you'll hear people say i wouldn't even think i'd forget about that deer he's 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 you're not in his core area and i'm always sitting there like what i mean if the deer's there the deer's there and when the rut hits i promise you that deer is going to show up because there's there's does Mm -hmm. that are going to go into heat and he knows that area so I, I've never quite understood that. I mean, I guess I can understand what people are saying. But like you said, just because he's there at midnight doesn't mean he wasn't bedded 100 yards away on the exact same property. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, that's what throws a lot of people off, I think, is they get those those pictures, but they're only at nighttime. And they think, okay, this buck's nocturnal. I'm not going to be able to hunt him. And you know, I think there's a lot of just patience that goes into that or, or I guess thinking outside of the box, like you were talking about too. Yeah. And probably, and you know, a lot of scouting and stuff like that, that's going to help you obviously too, you know, doing that early scouting. Cause if you can, I mean, like we're talking about, if you can find that core area and then you can kind of put the pieces together of, you know, what you can do as far as, well, he's probably going to be hitting this way or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if if you're in a scenario where the deer is that, you know for sure that the deer is bedding on a neighboring property, again, there's not much you can do um, except wait for those high odds conditions that's going to push them further faster. Uh, but, you know, I mean, obviously, if you're getting closer to the rut, you can try other things, too. You can rattle, you can call, you can try to spur that deer to get up and move further. You know, you, you can try things. But, you know, success is going to come much, much uh uh more frequently um if you know and again it depends on the situation there's certain properties that i hunt where i cannot get close to bedding areas because it just it just doesn't work out uh some bet i am a big proponent of hunting close to bedding areas because again sometimes deer only move a few yards from their bed in daylight every deer is going to move out of their bed in daytime hours but not every deer is going to move very far especially those five and a half six and a half plus year old deer uh, and so, and really, it was Dan Infall that introduced yeah. this concept to me. And I, I think a lot of Dan, he's, he's probably one of the one of the most knowledgeable deer hunters in the country. Um, and so, you know, probably for the past five to six years, I've been very, very 
uh, I shouldn't say very aggressive, but more aggressive on hunting closer to bedding areas than I used to be, where I would only hunt close to food sources and and and, and food and uh, staging areas that are closer to the food sources. I wouldn't even really push too close into the staging areas that were around the bedding areas. But I started seeing way more deer and having way more fun. And yeah, sometimes I'd screw it up. You know, sometimes I'd bump a deer. But I was having way more eventful hunts, way more fun hunts, and killing more deer whenever I started being more aggressive. Uh, and again, you can't be aggressive in every situation. And some bedding areas you can't get close to because especially, uh, you know, bedding areas that take advantage of terrain and topography. You know, right. if, it's a, if it's a flat, wide open bench that they're bedding, you can see coming from all the way, you forget it. Uh, unless you maybe come in on the back side of that ridge and slip over, you know, a, a, above them or something. But, uh, you know, some so some bedding areas you can't get close to, but most of them you can, especially the bedding areas that are that are uh, relying on a high stem count. It's really thick, nasty, early successional growth. Uh, you know, you can get close to those bedded deer. Uh, you know, they're probably the closest I've ever gotten to a bedded deer successfully uh was 30 yards i, I slipped it was, i think it was 2016 um i slipped in to a stand climbed up and looked down and there was a deer bedded at about 25 30 yards and it was the target buck that i was actually in there to hunt unfortunately uh, uh he didn't do what he normally did and he decided to go the opposite way that day but uh and it was really thick really thick and, you know i could i couldn't have threaded a, a needle through there let alone a, uh an arrow but uh you know, uh, I don't know. It's just one of those things where I started having more fun as a deer hunter whenever I started pushing closer to those beds. Now you do have to have good entry routes. You got to move in slow. You got to have good exit routes because, and you know, if you if you if you know you've been there even after you left. So uh, uh, you know, it, it it does come with some caution and uh, you know a, a disclaimer that says, yeah, you, you run the risk of, of pushing deer out. Now properties that are really really that have deer and every deer herd is different you know some properties i hunt uh the deer are really really um uh keen on on pressure they you know are keen on picking up on on hunting pressure you know they you know if you go in there and hunt a couple times it's going to mess that deer herd up for a while and then there's other properties i hunt where i can go in there and bust them out of a field every single day and they're going to be right back out in the same spot so and I can't explain that phenomenon, but it just and really there's no difference in hunting pressure from those properties. It's just the deer react differently. Yeah. Uh, even the mature deer that call those properties home, and I don't. Again, I have no idea why that is. I can't explain that whatsoever. But some properties I can get away with applying more pressure and bumping deer more than others. But uh, so yeah, I mean it's it, it's hard to it's hard to. See. You know, tell somebody, yeah, go and hunt your bedding area if you've got a 30-acre property, and that's the only place you can hunt. I probably wouldn't do it. I'd probably be more reserved. I'd be more careful. Uh, I'd stay kind of further away from those beds and wait for a higher odds day. But if you've got multiple places you can hunt, if you've got four or five places you can hunt, you can bounce around. Uh, you, you can move. If you're hunting public lands, that's the best way to do it. If you can hunt a lot of public land and you're hunting different places all the time, you can afford to do that because you've got other places you can go. But if you only have one little private private parcel and it's 30, 40, 50 acres, it's harder to be aggressive. Uh, and I probably wouldn't even, wouldn't even advise being aggressive if that's your only spot because then you're going to push the deer out of there, um, uh, at least temporarily. Right. Um, but deer don't always run away, you know, and, and this is a different topic, but uh, similar. Don't think you're out of the game just because you bumped that buck out of his bed. Because uh, a lot of times those bucks will, will circle downwind and come, and right, come right back, back. in. 
Um, and, and you know that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that when? So, the, I mean, what do they that, call that? that the bump and dump. Serve a purpose. Yeah, bump and dump. Who? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've heard of it. I can't remember who coined the phrase or whatever. But yeah, they'll bump and dump. You bump them out. You oh, you set a stand real quick and. Every once in a while, they'll come back. Well, because it makes perfect sense if you think about it, right? If you bump a buck out of his bed, his it worked. He caught you coming in on him. So why wouldn't he want to come back to that? Uh, right. Because it, it worked for him. It actually builds confidence in his selection, in his, his bedding area selection. It, you know, it builds confidence. And it's kind of counterintuitive. It's, it's a different way of thinking. And, and, it, and I will say this. I bumped some deer out and never saw him again. Sure. Uh, and then I've bumped some deer, and, man, they're just, like, back in there the next day, back in there the next day. So it, it does have a little bit to do with the deer's personality. And you never really know what type of person that, that deer has until you hunt that deer for a while and you get to know that deer. And it really takes hunting a deer over the course of at least a season, if not multiple seasons, to really figure out what kind of personality they have. But it's kind of interesting to take note, like you said, because some deer that I've hunted uh, and, and eventually even killed, you know, I've bumped those deer a time or two. And then uh, uh, they come back and they come back and they come back. back built their confidence. And then I had, you know, of course I had to think outside the box and figure out how to, okay, well, how do I beat him in his own bedding area? And then eventually you get it done. But it is interesting how every single deer is slightly different. So uh, I don't know. It's just one of those things where it's uh, it's part of what makes bow hunting fun. Well, and, and hunting bedding areas, going back to that wind thing you were talking about earlier, Josh. You know, if the if the wind is, let's say, 15 miles an hour, so it's a decent breeze that day, you know, a decently windy day, and the studies are showing that uh, deer move more on windy days, which I wonder if they ever got into why they think that is, if they think, you know, there's more scent coming into the deer's nose because of the wind, so they feel more confident that they're smelling everything or, or what. But, you know, you can also use that wind to your advantage because it's louder, so if you're going into a bedding area with the wind to your face, you know, you might be able to sneak in a, there. You might be able to get a little closer or, or whatever because yeah. they might not hear that little twig break that you didn't yeah. notice or something. Right, because I'm sure that story you just said about yeah. you getting in within 30 yards of the bedded buck, I'm sure you probably were moving at a very, very slow snail's pace whenever you were getting into your stand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that I did, um, and you know I had wind that day. That was the key. You know, hunt, getting hunting bedding area, you know, hunting in or on the edges of bedding areas is difficult of an afternoon because the deer are already in there. But if you slip in there earlier of the morning, you can have a little bit better success, especially if you get into those bedding areas. Uh, you know, two or three hours before daylight, you know, before the deer move back and, and, and kind of sift back through that, that area. But, you know, even then you have some difficulties because a lot of times, and again, I've got to credit Dan Infault for this, this knowledge. And, and, and since then I've kind of paid attention. I was like, huh, yeah, that's what they do. But a lot of times when these deer are coming back to their beds, they're coming back into their beds with the, with the nose into their wind because they want to make sure there's no pre- predators in their bedding areas before they go in there. And so, um, you know, uh, they actually do that. So it's, it's even kind of difficult whenever you're hunting a morning, you got to think, okay, well, how's this deer going to come back into his bed based on this wind? And you really just got to hunt a just off because you're never going to have it perfect. You're never going to have the wind in your face. If that deer's coming back into his bed with his nose into the wind, yeah. you're going to have to have a just off wind and, and it's going to have to skirt just by. You know, it's going to be just good enough. And I've actually killed a lot of deer, you know, not just in bedding areas or in the morning, but uh, just, you know, 
morning and evening, a lot of the biggest deer that I've killed have been off just off winds where that deer thought they had the wind in their favor. Yep. And they did. But I was set up in just, you know, just off enough that my scent cone was drifting right past that deer. You know, there may have only been a 10 to a 20, 30 yard gap between where my scent was drifting and where that deer was at. Good enough that they didn't catch me. Um, and I've had a lot of the success, which again, this isn't really, doesn't really have to do with the whole, you know, nocturnal concept. <laughs> yeah, we, we went off I've on a, a tangent, of, but that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, to get, to get back on topic, um, you know, hunting these nocturnal bucks, you know, uh, you know, some of them, you know, if a deer only, you know, it, it all, you have to really come down to, well, what's a nocturnal buck? You know, you almost have to define it. But, uh, and if you're saying, well, if he, you know, if he doesn't move in daylight, well, every deer moves in daylight, but some of them move less, some of them move more. I like the ones that move more. If I've got multiple mature bucks on camera and I know this deer likes to move in daylight and that one don't, I'm going after the one that likes to move in daylight. But uh, it's just one of those things where you have to measure it, figure out what the deer is actually doing. Sometimes when they seem like they're not moving very far in daylight or if it seems like they're bedding way off on a neighboring property, you know, I've killed some deer um and, and and had some hunts that suggested otherwise sometimes they're bedded really close by they're just not hitting the cameras and you just don't you know you just don't realize that and all, all of those things that we actually talked about do go into it right i mean if you're playing a situation where the the buck isn't bedded on your property but he he comes to you then it's going to be like a situation that I'm, I'm trying to do better at this year. And that's be patient. I'm, I'm trying to be a little more patient and wait for those opportunities where I have that big change in weather. Right. And I have that wind that is like you were just saying, Josh, just off. And it's this, it's the same for me. The, the two biggest bucks that I've killed have been on winds that I almost got busted, but I killed them before it happened. And so yeah. he, he felt comfortable coming in. It was a perfect situation as far as the, uh, I'm thinking about my 2018 archery buck. The, the weather changed quite drastically the night before. It was a large drop in temperature. The wind was pretty perfect, but a little bit out of the direction I didn't want it, but pretty close. And he came in cutting what I call cutting the wind, if that makes any sense, right? So... Mm-hmm. He wasn't the wind wasn't straight in his nose where he was he was kind of kind of cutting that and he he didn't have a care in the world when he died and so it's it's that that patience knowing that that buck while I have him on camera at night doesn't mean he's not eventually going to slip up and especially when the rut hits all all things are off at that point but um yeah that's when you just hold on <laughs> you know, just hold on i mean yeah. if nothing else be patient until the rut hits right and, and he's gonna show up i mean you just got to be there at the right time mm-hmm. yeah hopefully hopefully uh, all the scenarios come together but yeah the rut definitely gets them moving so all of those things matter it, it's just a matter of i guess putting those puzzle pieces together to figure out what what am i going to do how am i going to approach this quote-unquote nocturnal buck is he nocturnal because yeah. he's he's only moving 20 yards like the buck you mentioned at the beginning? Or is he nocturnal because he's bedded 500 yards away and he makes it over to my property at night? You know, those are two different right. scenarios. Right. I mean, 
Right, and, and, and it takes time to figure out exactly what's going on, and it takes, honestly, it takes a combination of trail camera scouting and glassing, and you can't do that on every property, especially big timbered country. You're, you can't hunt, or excuse me, you can't glass from afar, so you just got to hunt, and eventually it takes, you know, you, you figure out what's going on, um, but, you know, something that I like to do, and it, this also helps piece together and figure out what that, and again, it doesn't always do it. Sometimes deer still miss cameras, but what I do I, and then I call it, you know, I, I kind of call it, this is what I call I call it trail camera blitz, uh, blitzing. Uh, and so I, I'll take, uh, while I have most of my cameras, you know, in set locations, that's where they are every single year. I don't move them. Uh, they stay, well, I, I might pull them down for a month or two to clean them up and put them back out, but they stay there year round just about because I want the deer to habituate to them. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, if, if deer grow up, with a trail camera on on the same tree, they don't care if it's there or not. They get used to it. They don't, you know, they don't spook it. But if you take it a camera yards, all of a sudden you, you you spook those deer. But if they get used to it and they habituate to it, um, you know, they don't pay as much attention. Um, but what I also do is I keep about five cameras in my truck. And if I go around and I check my cameras and I find, oh, there's a target buck I want to hunt, you know, going after him, but I don't know what he's doing. I'll take, you know, four or five or six cameras and I'll just kind of just spread them out around where I think his core area is and I'll let them sit. You know, if it, you know, if I can, I'll let them sit and soak for about a week and then I'll go back and I'll check those cameras and any camera that had a picture of that deer, I'll leave where it's at, but any camera that didn't, I move closer to the cameras that did. And eventually, you know, you know, if you're hunting at home and you have the course of weeks or yeah. months, you know, I would, I, it, it, I would, I would, you know, it depends on when it is. So if you're hunting September, or October, obviously you got a little time before the rut kicks in. But you know, these deer change; they don't change completely, but they do change whenever that rut hits. So uh, obviously you're looking, you, know, you got to examine your situation, figure out, you know, what your timeline is, because obviously if you're hunting a deer in September, or October, you want to get that deer killed before the rut, because then it's going to change. But um, but if it's after the rut, say, you know, you're in the late season, you've got, you know, late November, December, January, you've got months to put deer out. Um, you know, even though, again, his pattern might change based on food sources or bedding areas. But anyway, we're getting on another tangent, but still, <laughs> what I'll do right. is I'll take those cameras and I'll, I'll move them around. And, um, you know, I might, I might let them soak for a week. I might let them soak for two weeks. I might just let it soak for two or three days. But what I'm doing is I'm slowly moving these cameras in where I think his core area is. And, um, you know, if you're doing that on public lands, I like to check cameras with bicycles because they don't have as much ground scent. If I'm on, on private lands and I have permission to do so, I will drive around and check those cameras from a truck or an ATV, and it just kind of reduces that ground scent, uh, especially if those properties are used, to, you know, those deer are used to seeing farmers on trucks or ATVs. They don't think as much about that. But, uh, but again, I just take those five or six cameras and slowly pinch down and home in on where that deer's living. And, and um, uh, you know, eventually, over the course of a few days or even sometimes two or three weeks, you figure out where those deer are spending the most of their time. And, again, you got to read every situation differently because if you're going in there a bunch of cameras around and check, that can speak deer. Some properties just can't do it. You just can't do it. Some properties you can't do it because the, either the, the deer herd is too sensitive to that or the properties aren't laid out uh, in a manner that you can get away with doing that. So, you know, over if you hunt a property for multiple years, you kind of start to figure out what you can get away with and what you can't. And I, there's, there's some properties I hunt that I can get away with using that method, you know, that trail camera blitz method. 
And then there's some properties where if I do that, I'm done for the season there because it's going to screw everything up. So, again, it, you know, it goes back to that thing where deer hunting is not black and white. No. It's shades of gray. Every situation is different. I, it's but that funny, is one thing that funny, I do use to figure out deer. It's funny you say that because my property, <laughs> I would like to do that, that camera blitz, and I always decide against it because – Long story short, if you took a square and cut it in half, the the back half or the bottom half would be like the thick bedding area, and the top half would be where the the hard woods are and where I can basically hang stands. So I'm hunting just off that bedding area that I think they have, and I've I've always just left it alone because I'm scared to go in there. Every time I've ever walked in there, I've bumped deer out of there, and so I'm like, I just got to stay the hell out of there, keep my stuff on the the other half and and just catch them coming off of it this year was the first year that i snuck in there and i've got one camera just inside of there <laughs> and uh, you know i thought pretty highly of myself for doing that right for being sneaky uh, uh, sneaky finally <laughs> for once and I, I would love to do a blitz where I, I could figure out where exactly that he's at or they're at in that area right but then i keep going back to like i don't think it matters because if they go south, they're not on the property I'm hunting. Right. And if they go north, I'm, I'm there to get them. Yeah. It's one of those deals where I yeah. just, and every time I, I think about doing it, I, I always go back to, I'm going to, I'm going to ruin it if I go in there and bump them or something like that, which I probably shouldn't. But, um, so is I've the, got, I've is, got it. You got, you got to find out is the orange worth the squeeze or whatever, <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> you know, I mean, you've always had good success there and it's, like you said before, it's not a very big property, and why screw it up if you don't have to? Yeah, no, it's just it's just so yeah. odd. I mean, Josh, you've you've seen this happen where I'll have there's this one buck that I've got there that he's probably about eight years old, and his his rack actually went down in size this year, and then he busted almost all of his entire left side off sometime in August. So he's like a 90-inch deer this year. <laughs> I mean, but he, he is old. Uh, he's, I bet he's eight. Well, yeah. he has been on my cameras on a daily basis there throughout the daytime, nighttime, you name it, right? So I'm sitting there going, he's living right here. And then as soon as they went hard-horned, I have not seen him on camera for a month and a half now. Or a month at least. Yeah. And it's like, where the hell did he go? Right. It's, yeah. you know, it, I mean, he's an old deer and he obviously knows what he's doing because he's made it this far in life. Um, but then, you know, it, it always in the back of your mind goes, if, if I had cameras in different spots, I bet I could have figured out like what he's going to do. Right. You know, where, where did he get out to? Um, so it's, it's stuff like that, that every property is different. I mean, my property could be the one where they're leaving to go somewhere else when they go hard horned or vice versa. And yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that freak out about the whole nocturnal thing, and I get it, and I do too. I mean, I would prefer to see all my bucks at four in the afternoon on a daily basis on camera. That would be nice. But that's that's but, just not going to be the case. <laughs> no. And so uh, I've just, you know, uh, I've noticed some deer that I've killed that were nocturnal, and then once I was just patient, um, it worked. I've noticed other deer that were nocturnal that I might have pushed the envelope a little too much, and then I never saw them again. You know, so um, right. 
you're right, Josh. It's deer specific. It's it's property specific. It's yeah. There's nothing black and white to it. But yeah, it's time of the year. So I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it. But I think one thing to step back and look. You mainly want to try to find that core area. I mean, if you can find that core area, then you can come up with the pieces to hopefully put it together. Yeah, and, you know, the the thing that I do most to figure out where these deer are bedding at, and that's the key. You know, if I have a 30-acre property, I'd rather have 30 acres of bedding than 30 acres of boot. Uh, because if you're going to – you want to be where that deer is in daylight. You know, that's the key, especially if you're trying to kill out of the rut. Because if you're trying to kill this deer outside of the rut, rut have a few days during that course of that season that he's going to move more than you know 200 plus yards in daylight especially in the afternoon uh you know outside of the rut you know if it's a deer that generally doesn't do that um i do is i try to i scour everything that i hunt uh whether i've hunted it for a season or 15 seasons I will walk every single, every square inch of every property. Of course, I shed hunt, and that's what I'm doing a lot of the times. But I'm also primarily shed hunting is actually secondary. Um, I'm, I'm just learning, relearning the property. And if you can figure out and find the beds on the property you hunt, you know where those core areas are. And so whenever I'm walking, I will basically grid search every property during the postseason between February and March. Every property that I hunt. Uh, or any property that I want to hunt and I have access, um, whether it's private or public, I will walk every square inch of it. And you can find and locate those beds. And mar- and I mark those on apps. I mark them on maps. Right. And, uh, you know, really good buck bedding areas. They're going to have, you know, probably, and again, this is going to sound like the Dan Infault promo show, but I've learned so much from him throughout the years, both just talking to him on the phone uh, you know, following him on his on his media outlets, you know, different different methods. But um, you know, he he you know has knowledge when it comes to hunting close to uh, bedding areas. But you know, if you can find an area that's got ten to fifteen really good beds, you know, in a close proximity within a few yards of one another, you know, that's that's probably. A, a, a lone deer you know so obviously you know bachelor groups might use that from time to time but that's probably a single buck budding, bedding area and he's just getting up and moving to different beds based on the wind direction he's getting up and shifting yeah. and multiple deer might use that it's not always just one deer in there but uh, but the long story short i walk every property every year and i find these beds and it's easy to find you find you know the beds that are used every single year whether it be a, the same deer for multiple years or you know different deer using it you know each consecutive year you know you find the really good beds that are on that property because they're worn down to dirt if they've been used recently you can even find white belly hairs in them um and you mark those and you remember those every bedding area isn't used year round you know they might only it might only be used primarily during the early season you know it might be primarily used during the pre-rut or the rut or the late season you know, if it's a south facing slope and you're living in cold country, mm-hmm. uh, they're probably using that during the late season. Uh, that bedding area that you find, you know, especially, you know, that white hairs during the post-February March when you're doing scouting. If you find the white hairs, it's probably, at the very least, a late season uh, a bedding area. But, uh, you know, it might be used other times too. But, you know, finding those and remembering where those are at, then... 
whenever it comes to your, you know, your, your post, your preseason trail cameras, your, you know, when you get into the early season or whatever phase you're in and you start getting pictures of a deer nearby and you're like, Oh man, he's hitting an hour after dark or he's hitting right at dark. You can go back and think, Oh, well, which bedding areas are nearby, which bedding areas are close, which ones might he be coming from? And then you just start hunting close to them and you start piecing it together and it might take multiple hunts to figure out what that deer's doing. But if you can see, uh, you know, get in and start, see, you know, checking off areas. And again, again, that's another thing that Dan Infall does a lot and something I've started doing, hunting down a property. I think that's the term he uses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have to be mobile to do that, you have to, you know, hang and hunt with a, a lock on and sticks or a climber stand or something, um, or hunt on the ground, whatever you decide to do. But that's another thing you can do. If you can't figure out, just cannot figure out where that deer is coming from, and your trail cameras aren't helping you, and you, maybe you can't glass from afar because it's, you know, timber country or really thick areas or whatever, uh, you can just start, you know, stand hopping until you figure out where that deer is. Now, I'm not a fan of stand hopping if you know what a deer is doing, because I think that decreases your odds. I like to hunt the same spot two or three days in a row if I have a good entry and exit route. Um, because I think if a deer's on a pattern, he's hitting there every couple of days, you know, I think stand hopping, you know, hurts you more than it helps you. If you know a deer's going to be in there, you know, every second or third afternoon, you know, hunt that spot three or four afternoons in a row if you got the right wind and good entry and exit, because that just increases your chance. But, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of ways you can figure out how deer are using the property, uh, from trail cameras to postseason scouting. Yeah. But it takes all of those things. That's the key, in my opinion. It takes doing all of those things to piece together a game plan. And something that I do throughout the postseason is I will, like I said, I walk every square inch of the property, and I will turn on uh, my tracks on, on X, and I will actually walk every single track. This is this is really where it clicked for me. Uh, whenever I started m- marking everything on a map during the postseason, I would mark all the butt beds that I found. And I would walk every single trail on the property. And this takes time and dedication, but if you walk every single trail on the property with your tracks turned on, you can't get off of a deer track. You have to make sure you stay on deer trails for this to work. But if you do that, you will see exactly how deer maneuver that property. You'll see how those trails, both the major trails and minor trails, bedding areas, you'll see how they leave those beds, how they come back into those beds, and it really just paints a picture on how deer use that property. And so when you get back into deer season the next year and you see that deer on camera or you see him from a tree stand or whatever, and you look back at that historical information that you have, it really paints a picture. And, and that's been the difference maker for me in past years, whether, you know, filling tags on big deer and, and not. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I One of my biggest learning experiences, I think, was, well, it was, it was the year of uh, the the year after the 2018 season. So I guess technically it would have been 2019 because it was in January. And uh, it was actually right after season was over, but we had a snow hit. And I enjoy walking properties in the snow. I don't know why. Just the tracks and I don't It's cool, right? So I I had not known where they might be bedding up in that bedding area. And I was walking through this area in the snow, and I was not being quiet. I was just walking. I mean, it was after the season was over. I was in regular clothing, you know, that sort of stuff. And I, I bumped a deer out of its bed up in that bedding area. And I didn't know it until I saw him, but it was, it was the buck that of the two bucks I was after that year, he was the one that lived. 
And it was that buck, Micah, that I nicknamed Sub-Zero, and I've talked about him for two damn years. And right. he's now gone. I haven't seen him at all this year. I was really hoping he'd show up because he'd have been about six or seven. But anyway, uh, when I when I saw him and I bumped him, I then walked around and, and saw where he came. And you, you were, just like you said, Josh, there were probably ten different beds right there. And it was... It had just snowed, and he had already laid in all these different beds, and so he was in there all day, type of deal, and yeah. and it was it was in a part of the property that I would have never guessed that he would have actually that they would have actually been bedding in, and so once yeah. I started looking, I'm like, this makes complete sense, but I just I didn't assume it, and once I saw him. It, it made me kind of start thinking about, all right, next year, the year after, as I'm hunting these, if a, a mature buck is going to come and bed here, then I'm really golden <laughs> as, as far as where my setup yeah. was. Right. Uh, I just did not assume them to be there. And uh, right. unfortunately, he's no longer. Yeah. I haven't seen him at all this year. Maybe he'll turn up. But, um, yeah, it's just interesting. And, that, and I learned that from late season walking through the property just because it snowed and I wanted to go take a walk. So that's a great, great point. And, you know, a lot of great points on the nocturnal side too. I mean, I think the biggest point for people to take away really is if you've got a buck that's nocturnal and you don't think you can hunt them, that's bullshit. You can hunt them. Right. Like you, that deer is on your property, figure out how to get them, whether it's, whether it's being patient, whether it's, moving cameras and, and figuring out if they're bedded close to, closer than you think or it's it's a combination of everything i think the biggest thing to understand is if if you've got a, a buck on camera at night he's a he 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 is at least in your area uh and i'm talking about bucks yeah. and i'm josh i'm guessing you're th- saying the same thing this isn't a buck you've seen one time in five months on camera that might be a buck that got bumped and was traveling through but if you've seen a deer on camera at least con- uh, somewhat consistent then that i think that deer is killable he's there it really boils down to being able to recognize and 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 decipher what situation you're in and, and you don't know exactly what situation you're in until you start piecing it together it takes a little bit of time but you know the best medicine for killing nocturnal deer is becoming intimate with the property that you hunt and and in every regard knowing exactly where those buck beds are if you spend time and figure out and, and if you're on a say a say it's a 50 60 70 acre property there might only be two or three areas with really good buck bedding uh there you know especially you know especially your average property you know your average 50 acre property is probably only going to have one two maybe three locations that offers really good buck bedding uh, and some don't offer any yeah so, but mean, you, you might know, be on the wrong side you, you know right, i mean if it's you know, 50 acres yeah. they could be they could be mm-hmm. bedded just off of it and you're hunting on the wrong damn side of the 50 acres so it's a matter of you know figuring mm-hmm. out where to be yeah, you have to become intimate with the properties that you hunt. You have to know exactly where those beds are. You have to know where the food is, know where the water is, know, you know, uh, how the thermals play, you know, run, and how you know, every aspect of that property. You have to become intimate with it in order to kill, you know, or address that whole. Because once you realize how deer are using that property, 
if you just know that a deer is in the general area and you have at least a little bit of intel to go on, whether that be, you know, in person or trail camera data, uh, you can start to piece that together. And, you know, good deer hunters, are, you know, I've always said good deer hunters would make great detectives because you're really just trying to figure out what that deer is doing. And you have to pay attention to the subtle things. Don't, you know, it really is about being creative. Good deer hunters are creative because they can think and look and see the small details that other people overlook. Yeah. You know, you know, even down to, okay, which way is that rub facing, you know? Which way, which direction is the face of that rub looking in? Is it pointing toward bedding area? Is it pointed toward food? Because a rub that's pointing back toward food sources, that deer is probably making that rub as he goes back to his bed of a morning. If that rub is pointed toward a bedding area, he's probably making it whenever he leaves of an afternoon. So, I mean, just the little subtleties like that can tell you how a deer leaves his bed and how he comes back into it. Because, if you're, like I said, if you're seeing rubs, uh, a rub line, and again, you know, I'll repeat that, his, if, if the face of that rub is pointed toward the bedding trail, he's using to leave of an afternoon when he heads out. If it's pointing toward the food and it's pointed away from the bedding, that's how he's coming back in the next morning. So, uh, you know, it's the little details like that that you find during the postseason when you're scouting a property or even in season when you happen to come across it that can make the difference and yeah. uh, can help you kill that nocturnal deer or not kill that nocturnal deer. And those are all things that I... I'm trying. I, I'm trying my best to do things like that. Micah, you're this this yeah. way too. There are some people, and I'm not one of them at least yet. And Josh, I am a big fan of Dan Infaults too. And Dan is a guy that I call just he's a he's just a hunter. Like that guy knows how to do it. It mm-hmm. he's he's kind of like you know Ken Griffey Jr. when he picked up a baseball bat. It was just natural for him to swing right. That's yep. that's how I feel about Dan. My brother-in-law, Russell, it just the second the kid started hunting, he knew the hell what he was doing. It's just like he's got it. I don't think I'm one of those guys. I'm, I'm learning, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm trying my best. And then I hear stuff like what you just talked about, and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. I never even freaking thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's – uh, and everybody it has their own different way of going about stuff. I try to uh, – What's the word like? Immerse, immerse myself <laughs> in people that are better than me at stuff. I don't know if that's the right word, but yeah, that, that, that makes sense. <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah, I think it is. Um, so you're you're 100 right. I mean, I pay attention to guys like Dan and um, just they're different hunters that are on the elk hunting side. You know, some of the guys that I really pay attention to that right. just know what they're doing. It's uh, it makes complete sense, uh, and and it's just like they they've got it. They they are hunters, right? Uh, I'm a wannabe hunter right now, so I'm learning. <laughs> but uh, well, me too. Yeah, I think we're all are, I guess. But um, dude, we really this was great. I, I really enjoyed the the nocturnal talk. Uh, great topic for this time of year. There's a lot of people probably starting to wonder what the hell they should do with a nocturnal buck, and maybe this will give them that that little bit of information or push to say, hey, go kill them. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. You can either be patient, wait for that rut to hit, which is fine. Or push or in there a little deeper. You might be able to get them before, you know, everybody, uh, they all go crazy, and and then you don't know what's going on. I, I heard a guy say before that he hates the rut because it ruins everything that he was working towards, right? It, the I rut mean, just make, makes, sense. makes them go crazy. So, you know, 
Hundred percent agree. It's my least favorite. It's I will I will say the rut used to be my favorite time of deer season because I, that's when I killed my deer because I'd get lucky. Sure. But then I started thinking, of, and, and then I was like, well, you know, let's try this early season thing a little bit more. Let's try this late late season thing a little bit more. And I'll be honest with you, my favorite times to hunt is the early season and then the late season, then the pre well probably early season pre rut then late season. Uh, but my the rut is my least favorite time of hunting now to, to hunt now because like you just said it undoes uh, or undoes undoes listen here <laughs> uh, un, undoes just about everything you don't, now now not every deer changes and again that goes back to personality even during the rut some of your super mature deer uh, you know they'll continue doing you know acting the you know the way they did uh you know before the rut kicked in um but you know most of your you know, most of your deer go crazy and that's just the nature of it they, yeah. most of your even even most of your mature deer go crazy now uh pressured deer you know act a little bit different but uh but yeah you know, you know when it comes to the whole nocturnal thing i know we're trying to wrap a bow on this but uh you know if you're getting a lot of deer especially if you've had a lot of deer on camera in daytime and now they're kind of starting to shift and you think oh well you know that, you know where, where's he at you know he's nocturnal now well, it's not really the case. A lot of times when you see a sudden change in a deer's behavior like that, um, it, it's a change in food sources. It's either a change right. in food sources, a change in in, in a bedding area, um, or or both. Or it's a change in, in hunting pressure. You know, if you've been hunting something, you, you, you can't impact them that way too. But um, generally, more times than not, when you see a deer change in behavior and all of a sudden you had him on camera a bunch, you know, in the daytime, you know, on the edge of that food plot or on the edge of that ag field or whatever it is, and you say all of a sudden, he's, you know, oh, I'm only getting nighttime pictures. Well, it, it, it's more so a change in, in food. And, and that's what a lot of people, especially when you get into October and the whole October lull, which is kind of di- similar but different with the whole nocturnal talk. Um, you know, they say, oh, well, there's an October lull. Well, no, not really. The research suggests and shows that deer movement even in the daytime gradually increases throughout summer early fall peaks during the rut and tapers back off so there is no quote-unquote lull there's just a change there's a transition in food sources there's a transition in bedding areas and what hunters are failing to do is transition with those deer um uh, you got to transition with the deer and you honestly got to transition before the deer transition in order to be ahead of them uh you know just you know obviously you don't want to transition too soon before them but you know you you want to do it right before they do it so uh you, you know do it the day they do it and it's hard to do that you know obviously you know that you're, you're gonna you know, miss that more often than you hit it but uh that, that's the goal you want to you want to be there the day they make that change yeah and so obviously in october you know one of the big changes is you know there's a lot of mass crops you know hitting the ground obviously a lot of the soft mass is, is already hitting some of it's just starting to hit apples you know persimmons different things like that your, your hard mass is hitting the ground and so deer just are traveling differently. And that goes back to the whole bedding area thing, too. Deer have different bedding areas throughout the year. Most bucks don't bed in the exact same bedding area 12 months out of the year. They have multiple different bedding areas throughout their home range, which you know is different for every part of the country and every deer, yeah. for that matter. Um, but, uh, you know, you know, when food sources change, a lot of times they'll choose a bedding area that's closer to that food source, as long as it offers security cover that they need. I've got a, you know, it's perfect timing too, because I've got the main buck I'm after at this one property. He, he was, he was pretty consistent throughout the summer. And then, uh, let's say mid August, he stopped showing up. Right. And I didn't think much of it, but I was like, "Eh, that kind of sucks, but whatever. 
Well, they went hard-horned, and in the last three weeks, he's been back three or four times. Or in the last two weeks, he's been back three or four times all at night, right? But, I mean, I'm happier than a puppy with two Peters about it. Like, he's he's back. I don't care if it's at night. I'm excited he's back. And uh, so mm-hmm. it's about kind of – I'm going to be patient with him because uh, I, I, I've got a plan for him. But um, – you know, I'm I'm stoked that I've got this damn deer back at night. I could care less if it's at two in the morning, n- midnight, whatever time it was. In fact, I have reason to believe he's even betting there because uh, I think last last week, sometime on my last set of pictures of him, he was there at midnight until about twelve forty-five, and then he was back again at four in the morning. And mm-hmm. so in my in my mind, he he was bedded somewhere right there by the cameras, probably right up where I was telling you about Josh and came back down again. So I'm sitting there like, Hey, this is awesome news. Um, you know, and uh, if there's anybody out there that's got that same scenario, that's all upset because it's only at night. Hopefully this episode gives you the, uh, what do you call it? Inspiration. Yeah. Is that a word? Yeah. Inspiration to say, yeah, screw that. Let's go kill this thing. So, uh, yeah, that, that's my biggest thing when it comes to nocturnal deer. Just because you're getting nighttime pictures only of a deer, never assume that that deer is either quote-unquote legit nocturnal or bedding on a neighboring property because that's just not true. Uh, and I will say this too to those that are gearing up. If you've got a photo of that deer anywhere close to, 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 uh, to uh, you know legal shooting time in the morning, you know, so say if it's sunrise is at six thirty, mm-hmm. and he's hitting it thirty minutes before sunrise, and he's in there from five thirty to six or somewhere in that range, or especially right after legal light starts. You know, that's a no brainer. But if he's in there close to legal light of a morning, you know, even if it's twenty, thirty, forty minutes before, that deer is bedding somewhere close nearby. Just, just no, no two ways about it. Now, if it's the rut, yeah, he might be traveling. But if it's September or October. Or even early, early November. If you've got a picture of that deer close to shooting light of a morning, get in there and hunt that thing because he's bedding somewhere nearby. Yeah, that's awesome. Great points. Well, man, we 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 appreciate it. It was a really eye-opening talk for us. Uh, gives us some inspiration to go kill some of these guys that are hanging out at night. And um, before we hop off, uh, any any uh, any thing you want to say to the listeners as far as where they can see some of your work um you know i've, I've read yeah. multiple articles of yours um through different organizations and uh wanted to give you that chance to kind of talk about uh where where you do some of your work and where they can check you out yeah no you can you know from from a hunting perspective you know my hunting you know day-to-day hunting you can follow uh, my season on midwest whitetail you can follow my my deer season there uh, you know, from a video perspective, uh, I do all my own self filming. Uh, I don't have a camera in. I self film everything, 100% of my hunts. Um, and then, uh, uh, you know, you can, you know, from a writing perspective, you can follow me on Realtree.com, North American Whitetail Magazine, Deer and Deer Hunting. Uh, you know, uh, I've, I've written for about uh, and continue to write for about 50 to 60 different uh, hunting websites and magazines, and uh, you know, throughout the the country. So, uh, you know, I've I've written for not all, but most of the, the major uh, titles uh, uh, that are that are at least whitetail related, anyway. So, um, you know, outdoor life, field stream, North American whitetail, deer and deer, 
you know, realtor.com, bowhunting.com, you know, there's a lot of them out there that I, I continue to write for and, uh, you know, uh, Google, Google something deer hunting related and Josh Honeycutt. If there's a topic that you're wanting to, to read about, uh, you know, I haven't written about it all. I don't know it all, but I have written about a lot of it. Uh, and the things that I didn't know about, you know, I made sure I, I found a good, credible source that uh, did know what they were talking about, and they were the, the centerpiece of that, that, that article or that video or whatever it might be. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of content out there, and uh, you can feel free to look me up on Instagram, too, uh, Josh underscore uh, Honeycut. Uh, uh, that's that's my handle there. And uh, good, good luck to everybody. I hope everybody has a, a super blessed deer season. Hope uh, everybody's dreams come true. And uh, just, you know, more, 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 more than anything else, just get out there and enjoy it because you don't have to kill deer to have fun. Nope. Uh, just being out there is fun, too. Absolutely. That, that's the icing on the cake, but you, you definitely don't have to kill them to have fun. Yeah. Always going to have a good time out there. Awesome. Well, Josh, we really appreciate you, and uh, we hope to talk to you again. Yes, sir. Thank you all for having me on. All right. We'll see you. Bye. All right. That's the show for today. That was awesome. Yep. Bye. Had a lot of fun on that one. If you didn't pick something up from that one, then you weren't listening. <laughs> <laughs> Way to chastise our listeners, dude. Well done. That, that really helps us with the, the numbers, I'm well, sure. I'm just saying, if you didn't catch anything out of that podcast, then you probably weren't paying enough attention. Sure. Yeah, which if you and I are talking, they probably shouldn't pay attention anyway. So hopefully well, people paid attention when Josh was talking. Yeah, we didn't have anything good to say. But Josh, he had a lot of good information. Yeah, so. yeah it was good. And uh, – I think this is the perfect time of year to use some of that stuff. Yes, it is. It's not rut. It's not the October lull portion. It's really that time where they've just, they kind of went hard horned a few weeks ago. It's the transition period. Yeah. So hopefully, I mean, hopefully me and you, we're going to be putting some of this stuff to work and getting something done. Man, I hope so. I, like I said, that buck, like I just said in the episode, that buck that I've, I'm kind of targeting, uh, which by the way, he did get a nickname. Oh, jeez. You want to know what it? it is? What is it? All right, it's Mortal Kombat themed. Oh, shocker. Yep, because I, I don't have anything else. His, his nickname is Sector. So Sector. if anybody hears me talking about Sector, this is the deer I'm after. I need to watch Mortal Kombat again. He's I, a, I he, can't remember all It's on names. different ones, yeah. What do you mean it's on different ones? Well, like it's not like Mortal, Mortal Kombat. It's are not there? the original Mortal Kombat. It's it's on like a, a trilogy or something like that. It's a It's a new character, I guess you'd call it. He's not one of the original characters. But I've named, I've nicknamed enough deer now that, I'm so you're into <laughs> the knockoff shows now. <laughs> it's not knock. Oh, and here's the worst part. I also am picky, so I won't name some of them. Some of the the characters I don't like. Yeah, I, I got problems <laughs> because you don't like the characters. <laughs> Brock, jeez, <laughs> ah. man, you got, you got. I mean, I get it. Some of them are pretty cool names, but you guys and your names, I it just, it's ridiculous. It's fun. I sh- we should have asked Josh if he nicknames his because he he talked about seventy. Having seventy cameras. Well, thought, it, in between, yeah, different. Right, right. But I thought I had a lot of cameras. That that's a lot of cameras, and I wonder if he likes to nickname his deer. I mean, I would assume that he probably has quite a bit of different properties. You know, obviously, I don't think that he's probably. I mean, but he did say, you know, if, uh, if I, in one scenario, like yeah. you know, if you're wanting to pinpoint down, he'll throw seven or eight up or right. whatever it was, to try to figure out where he's coming I like to think, and I'm going to speak for Josh since he's not on here anymore, that he does nickname his deer. So I don't know. <laughs> I, I hope not, but okay. Yeah. Anyway, great show. Hope everybody enjoys it. Um, 
we are uh, kind of hitting that time of year where we hope to be doing some different Tales of the Chase episodes mm-hmm. with people that have gotten some 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 deer down. Um, and that and if you guys listening, if y'all have had success and you got a cool story or something like that, shoot us a message. We might have you guys on sometime. Yeah, so. it uh, we that's probably my most the most enjoyable thing about doing these podcasts is listen to people's hunting stories uh, or fishing stories or whatever. So, yeah, if you want to hop on with us and, or think that you got a cool story, don't uh, hesitate to, to message us. Cause the ju- worst we can say is no. And we're just, <laughs> we're, we're no, like we're just a bunch of idiots doing, you know, a show. So it's not like, uh, you know, you're, you're uh, messaging um, anybody important. <laughs> <laughs> it's just us. Just us. So I uh, hope you all enjoy it. Uh, it's a, it's a good episode and we will holler at y'all later. Yep. Tell a friend. See ya. Bye.